The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to Officially Unofficial, presented by Blue Wire Podcast. I'm your host, the former face of junior college baseball, the fall American, Johnny Junson. We're joined with a very special guest, man, a guest that means a lot to me. Some may call him Canada's, Canada's songbird. He is 2019 MLB All-Star and the ace of the Atlanta Braves. Is that good? You tell me. It is Mike Soroka. How are we doing, Mike? I'm good, Johnny. Thank you for having me. And uh, I appreciate the kind words, but uh, some of those things I'm definitely going to go out there and earn again that's for sure I, and you know what i love that because we're getting right now you're kind of kind of weaseling your way through the weeds trying to get back and you, this podcast is getting back with you early so we get to all we get to see the adjustments you make we get to see the comeback it's just going to be a grind i'm fired up for it so where are you at right now man how are you feeling thank you yeah i'm in i'm in florida right now i'm at our our complex um you know we're kind of in this in this area where I'm throwing live VPs uh, every week, we're just trying to kind of get my feet under me really. And, and, you know, things, things take time. I think that's what I'm realizing right now is that it's not, uh, it's not such a seamless pro- process as you always kind of expect it to be, uh, especially when it's, it's been that long since, since we got it back into it. But, um, you know, a lot of it's just trying to be an athlete again. And, and we're kind of waiting for the right time to say go. And uh, then it'll be time to, to start that rehab assignment and uh, build up. And I will say this. So listen, if the listeners of the show know I'm a Juco bandit, went to Juco. I will say, I say this to a lot of our Canadian guys, like Cal Quantra and stuff like that. I have a kind of bone to pick with you because you're one of those guys that I saw when I was younger. And I was like, all right, I am nowhere fucking near being a big leaguer. So you kind of crushed my dreams of being a big leaguer. Do you have any comment on that? Because I mean, you, you were not you were nasty. So I just want to kind of let you know you kind of ended the dream for me. So it's kind of a bone to pick. Oh, see, that's that's the interesting part, isn't that's what I always tell people about Canadians is a lot of times, you know, it all it all happens at once. But you know, for me, it was basically my senior year of high school. Things really took off. But I mean, it, look how many guys. I mean, Matt Brash is one. Uh, I don't actually know him. I've never even talked to him. I got a buddy that's playing with him in. Uh, triple a Tacoma right now. And, and he said, basically, you know, he, he didn't really have anything that he has now. And, you know, I think he went into university throwing in the mid mid eighties 
Um, you know, and then all of a sudden it was like bang, bang. And, you know, he's, he's throwing a hundred miles an hour with those Frisbee sliders. And, uh, you know, that's the, that's the nice part about being Canadian, I guess, is we, we come into our own a little later, but I guess for me, it was that, that year and, uh, it took off. Yeah. And I want to, and maybe you can debunk this rumor because it's actually a rumor that I kind of started. I I'm pretty sure it's true. Did you ever play in the Arizona fall classic when you were younger? Uh, the Arizona fall classic, like, uh, you know, when like with kids, like with our travel teams. Yes. When we were younger, like when you were in your like 16, 17 range. Uh, I, I, it's very possible. Uh, we okay. Well, okay. okay. So Red then Bruce. we can keep the rumor going because I always tell a story that I'm over one lifetime against you. So maybe we can kind of keep that going. I'm pretty sure I'm over one lifetime against you. I don't know. Did you, you play for Okotos? Is that who you played for? Or like what team did you play for? No, no, I played for the Calgary Redbirds. That's even better. Okay. So now, yeah, the rumor, we're going to keep it going. We're going to say I'm 0 for 1 against Mike Soroka. Cause like I said, I've name dropped it a million times. So I'm just not going to end it right now. I'm just going to say I'm 0 for 1 lifetime against you. So we'll just go from there. But I want to go into the Canadian roots because obviously, like you said, it's kind of, it's, it's tough to get, not really, it's kind of tough to get seen here, obviously. Right. I mean, you're not playing in Arizona every single weekend and all that type of stuff. At what point did you kind of realize, like, dude, I'm kind of nasty at baseball. Like, I'm a dog. Like, what age was that for you? Um, you know, I, I think things, like I said, took off for me when I was – I started to grow. I mean, that was everything. I was, I was a later grower. Um, you know, I think I went into ninth grade at, like, five foot six, and then, you know, 10th grade at six foot two. So it was probably that year that, that things really started to take off. And, um, you know, you start to throw the ball harder, and you don't even know it. Uh, probably gained like 10, 10 plus miles an hour and had no idea. Um, so that, that was the first year I played up on the 18 U team. Um, you know, and I, I guess it was probably near the end of that year when, you know, I wasn't just playing with the older kids, but you know, I was a little better than a lot of the older kids. And that, that's kind of when it was starting to be like, okay, you know what? I, I think I got a shot at college here. And, and then it was all about off seasons, all about, uh, getting some weight on, um, you know, getting some weight on the bar and some weight on my body too. And, uh, that really started to help. And, uh, you know, I had, I had a really good pitching coach in Calgary and Chris Reesma to be able to kind of, to kind of guide my way through what I needed to do in high school. Um, and once I was on the junior national team, then, then getting looks is, is not too difficult at that point, but no, you're right. I mean, a lot of Canadians, uh, in that no man's land where, you know, they're not quite there it's really, really hard to go to a good school because those schools in a lot of times are, are just going to take in-state kids because it's, you know, it's cheaper and it's, it's more convenient. Where were you committed? Cal Berkeley. I committed to. So you're a genius. Is that a, that's a smart school, right? It's a smart school, but I, I definitely would have been one of the slower kids in my class. <laughs> they uh, no, it, it was. And, and that was one thing I, I wanted to actually be a, uh, I wanted to take mechanical engineering when I went there. Uh, that was on my visit. I told them that and they said, well, you know, if, if that's what you want to do, uh, you might not have a life basically here. You said, you're going to be between, between the library classes and, um, baseball. And, um, you know, I switched it. Uh, I said, all right, I'll do marketing, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it would, it would have been a lot of fun, but like I said, things took off my senior year and, and the Braves met it well worth it. Yeah, I mean, the Braves definitely did make it worth it. And are you like a local legend back in Calgary? Because obviously, I mean, you see the, you see guys like, and maybe our American listeners don't know, but Alfonso Davies, a soccer player, when he goes back to Edmonton, he's just the face of the city. Like, 
He's just swarmed with human beings. So when you go back to Calgary, are you that guy, like at the facilities and stuff like that? I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't say on that level, no, especially because, you know, the, the viewership for baseball in Calgary isn't quite there yet. Um, you know, I, I think the other thing is that you know, I did kind of come out of nowhere, um, you know, and it would probably be different if I was playing for the Jays um, or even probably the Mariners would be a lot closer to home. There'd be a lot more eyes on it or even somewhere on the West coast, to be honest with you, I grew up watching Dodgers games because that's what was on, you know, before bed. Um, so I, I think it would be a little bit different there, but you know, Atlanta and Calgary is pretty, pretty far away. Uh, and I think, you know, there's obviously within the baseball community, um, you know, some looks and stuff like that, but, um, no, I wouldn't say on that, on that frame. And another thing that I want to talk about, and this is completely off topic because my brain just goes in a million places at once. At one point, you had really long hair. And listen, like, this is an off-the-field podcast. What was running through your mind when you were like, I'm going to start the flow going here? Were you watching NHL playoffs? Like, what happened there? How, how did that come to fruition? I, so I never had long enough hair. Like, I had, uh, you know, I think I was like 12, 10 to 12. You're rocking the Justin Bieber haircut. That's, that's what it was back then. And um, that's as long as it ever got. But uh, from then, I'd always been, you know, high and tight just like this. And I think once the pandemic hit and I was going to be locked away for a few months, I figured it was a good time to, to see what I had. And uh, it got long and I think it looked better in pictures than it did in person. Cause it was just a mess. I didn't, I didn't love taking care of it. Um, but uh, I mean, that's it, not really a funny story, but um, it was the entire time with my long hair. I just never had much good luck going for me um so I, I chopped it all off the day after i ruptured a second time my achilles and i said all right that's it it's gone um so hopefully the hair was the bad juju and i got rid of it so let's just talk about this from like a uh, an atlanta braves female fan perspective where like what do you think you look better with the long hair the short hair like what are you doing because obviously the scruff's gonna always play and i respect that. i hope you never lose the scruff that's just friend to friend the, the scruff always plays do you think you attracted the female audience more with this long hair or the short hair? Like what, what, what was playing more for you? Um, you know, I, I, I would have to ask, uh, ask some people, but no, I, I think, I think the short hair is, I don't know. It's just more me. I, like I said, I, I really had to take care of the long hair for it to, to do good. And it didn't really curl. Uh, it got wavy when it got real long, but it, if, you know, if I actually took care of it properly, shampoo, conditioner and stuff like that, it was just so straight. Uh, and it just wasn't, it wasn't a good look for me. Yeah. It, I mean, I, I, I wasn't, listen, hand up. I'm going to be truthfully honest with you. I think the short hair plays the most for you. Like that's just me pumping your tires. That's what we always Thank do on this you. podcast, but the short hair definitely <laughs> plays more. And going back to the childhood here, I, I, I obviously have to ask this because we're both Canadian kids here. Were you nasty at hockey growing up? Because I mean, you're six foot four, I believe it is, or am I shortchanging you? You're six foot four. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, real, real four. I think sometimes it ends up at five on the bios, but yeah, over, over a little over four. Were you nasty at hockey growing up? So I always tell the story and a lot of Canadian, Canadian people love this one because they're the ones that understand it. But um, so 2004 was the, the, the flames big playoff run. Uh, and Mika Kippersoff, the goalie goaltender at the time was the reason that they made that run. Um, so literally every kid in Calgary, 
wanted to be a goalie in 2004. I mean, it was like, I didn't, kids are always kind of intrigued about being a goalie anyways, because of the gear. Um, you know, it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool to be in the action like that all the time. But in Calgary, I, I honestly like, so I played in Springbank. It was a little, little, little subdivision. That was our, our quadrant in Calgary. And um, novice, there was, or I guess Adam was when he started to play, play goalie full time. We had 10 full teams, two goalies per team. And they had to cut like 30 kids from community hockey as goalies. They said, you can't be goalies. You have to go play player. Yeah. Because there was just so many. And, and so anyways, that, I was one of those kids. I begged and begged and uh, my dad actually wouldn't have bought me any goalie gear, but my grandpa did. <laughs> um, so I guess I have, have my grandpa and, and Mika Kippersoff to thank for me playing baseball because I mean, I liked it and, and I thought it was pretty good when, you know, it was all, we were young, but once it got to the point where being a good goalie, you had to be in, in summer camps all summer long. You know, I was, I was just working on nothing but, but, skate work and edge work around the crease and i honestly i hated that uh that just it was mind numbing to me it, it just wasn't fun um so I, I i got tired of being a goalie and honestly when i chose to to give up on hockey it was mainly because i, I just wasn't competing where i liked anymore um you know i was playing baseball during the summers i was out you know doing other stuff and i would show up to to tryouts the next year the same player that i'd left you know in april uh, whereas every kid that was there got better that summer. And, and I just, I, I wasn't able to compete. So I said, all right, you know, you got to go baseball or hockey, um, or you give up being a goalie and you go back to being a player and, and do power skating, you know, five times a week until oh you God. catch, catch back up. And which honestly I was, I was thinking about, cause, cause I grew up, we grew up, I grew up in an unfinished basement. Uh, so I was shooting pucks all off season. I, I still, and I can still shoot the puck. Uh, obviously, it's but it's skating. It's the vision. You know, I would have missed, you know, seven years of of development as a, as a kid. So I said, you know what? I never have a day where I don't enjoy being at baseball practice. Uh, I love throwing the ball. I love hitting the ball. It doesn't matter what it is. Uh, so I'm going to play baseball. And my dad knew already. He's like, yeah, I know. He's like, I can see it. And he's like, you. You never wanted to go to the goalie practice. Uh, you never wanted to do all those all those sessions with them, and um, you know you can't wait to get to baseball practice. Um, yeah, so that makes sense. I mean, yeah, just hockey's just in my opinion, it's like it's a sick sport. It's that and golf is like the best sport to be good at because it's just the biggest flex of all time because no one can really do it because no, like not everyone can not everyone could skate. So I think play, being nasty at hockey is like an all time power move. But you mentioned, I mean. You mentioned that, like the hockey stuff, when you go back to Calgary and stuff like that, are you like working out with hockey players? Because obviously there's not tons of baseball players. There are like professional athletes or professional baseball players there. When you do these personal training sessions with guys like that, are you training with the hockey players that are coming back there in the off season or during all that type of stuff? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure if, if our off seasons overlapped, I would be a lot more, but yeah. you know, they're in, they're in the middle of our season, but um, you know, I've actually been fortunate enough to train at the, the Canadian Sport Institute in Calgary um, and the Olympic facility there. And so I've got to train alongside a lot of Olympians, um, you know, a lot of people that are extremely humble. Uh, they work extremely hard um, for the sport that they love. You know, a lot of them aren't aren't getting paid very much. They're they're on uh, national funding and stuff like that. And 
Um, you know, there, there's been so many across the years and some of the skiers, bobsledders, uh, and the women's national hockey team also is, is based there a lot of times. So, um, you know, I've got to work alongside a lot of them and, um, you know, I, that's, that's fun. And I, I enjoy being able to do that in the off seasons. There's no shot when you mention you're from Calgary, uh, yeah, Calgary, Alberta, that you're like teammates and your minor league teammates knew where the fuck that was. Right. Like, cause I, even when I say like, I'm from Mississauga or Milton, like near the Toronto area, no one has a clue like where that is or what that is. I can't even imagine what Alberta is to some of these Americans. No shot. Well, see, and, and that's the interesting part is that a lot of them are, you know, they know Vancouver and yeah. Toronto and they, they assume that Toronto is as far east as it goes. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 no. It goes a lot farther east. But, and I, I honestly, since being down here and meeting a bunch of new guys, I don't know how many times I've been asked where Calgary is on the map. <laughs> and the funniest part is a lot of times I'll say like above Montana and then they'll still look at me and be like, uh, they don't know where Montana is. And I'm <laughs> like, crazy. West, think about like just east of Washington, Seattle, and then go straight north. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it's just like, you know, a lot of the other funny things are just like, you know, they assume it's a town. And, <laughs> you know, a lot of times I have to tell them, I'm like, no, like, Target's got like one, 1. 1.6 million people now. Like, it's, it's a full blown <laughs> city. You know, it's a big league. You could have a big league team there if, if you know, they gave gave a crap about baseball. Um, yeah. But, yeah, they don't see that a lot. So how heartbroken were you when Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl dog walked the Edmonton Oilers in the playoffs? Were you, like, shook? Or, like, do you follow them that religiously, the Calgary Flame? Um, I mean, I, I follow them religiously in the playoffs. Um, you know, I, I still say playoff sports is, is the only – really sports that I've watched a ton of in general. Um, you know, it's, it's to the point where um, we, I try and go to as many games as I can in the off season. And that's, that's a lot of fun. I enjoy being there. Um, you know, and I keep up with their stuff. I keep up with Twitter, um, keep up with the games, but a lot of times we're playing, you know, there, there's stuff going on, but this, this playoffs, uh, you know, I found really interesting because I, I really did think we had a team that had a chance, um, you know, in, in years past, I remember going to some of the playoff games, we play Anaheim and they had gets laugh Perry. Um, and they would just absolutely manhandle the flames, you know, that line would, and it, it just didn't look like we were going to be able to be competitive, um, for the cup. But this year was kind of the first year that I was like, all right, you know, I think if we, we bring it, I think we got a shot. Um, you know, would we have beat Colorado anyways? I highly doubt it. Um, but, you know, it kind of was a frustrating series to watch that one with, with McDavid because, you know, it's, it's so easy to say on the other side of things, you know, like, oh, just, just shut down McDavid and dry saddle. But it's like, no, these guys had a combined like 200 and some points this year. Like there's a reason that they're able to do that night in night out when the team, I'm sure every team is like, all right, let's try and handle them, but they can't. You yeah. know, we tried to play river hockey with them and we lost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but again, I, I'm not sure it would have mattered anyways because like we all saw how good of a team Colorado is and that's a tough one. Yeah. And then uh, let's go into the minor league career here because obviously I'm fascinated with your stats. And one stat that I found that I think not many people know about or like have really looked into is you've only given up 14 home runs in your whole minor league career, which is absurd. And listen, I, I don't know if that's, a, like a little, I'm just going to say it's a little because I'm, I'm a Mike Soroka guy now, but 
but that is an absolutely absurd stat. And then I also want to talk about like, so you go from Calgary, right? You're playing with the junior national team, which is awesome. You get to, you, you sign with the Braves and you just get thrown into the fire, right? You're playing minor league baseball. Was that adjustment adjustment absolutely bananas for you to like go from playing in Calgary, Calgary, Alberta, like close to your family to not even remotely close to anyone, none of your friends, no one, different time zones, everything. Was that like the craziest adjustment you had to make? No, I think honestly, a lot of those ones were pretty easy because again, with the junior national team, we're, we're down, we're playing those guys. Uh, we're playing the professional teams, even though they're, they're, you know, rookie ball and, and low A teams. Um, we're playing them as of 16, 17 years old. And so I, I kind of got used to that pace of games and, you know, playing away from home. I, I rarely ever actually pitched in Calgary in, you know, my last two years of high school. Um, so I, I think the biggest thing, you know, A, being on your own for the first time, that's it's difficult for anybody. I don't think it matters how far you are from home. Um, when you're truly kind of on your own, you know, in pro ball, it's, you know, you got to put in the work. People aren't going to chase you. And, and honestly, I feel like it's a lot of places like that, you know, after high school. But, you know, in college, there's some people, people's jobs are riding on progress. And, you know, they're going to do a better job of, of, you know, pushing you along. But in pro ball, it's, it's, it's your decision. You know, you, you decide where your career goes. And, um, you know, I think, if anything, I, I would say that I was... Uh, scared in a good way you know I was scared of of not pushing through and and you know still going up I, I always tell people I think I I think I told one of our farm directors after like my third game in the GCL so for your first league in rookie ball I told him I didn't belong here I was like nope I was like this isn't this isn't it I'm way better than these kids and, and it's kind of just like you know obviously looking back on it I think of a 17 year old me saying that and I'm like wow, like I needed to kind of Pump take a break. breath, but <laughs> you know, and I honestly, I would have said it after my second outing in, in the, the next level I, I went up one more level and I think I threw four perfect. And I was like, give me the low A let's go. <laughs> you know, I, I, want, I wanted to get there. And, uh, you know, I, I don't regret that feeling because I think that's what ultimately drove me to, to continue to succeed those years in the minor leagues. But, um, you know, I think it also could have been good for me to take a deep breath at some points. But. Well, I, I love that, especially like you being that guy. I mean, you're a first round pick. And, not, and what a lot of the American people like don't understand is when you're playing with like the junior national team, like you were, it's way different than like what the 18 year olds in the U.S. are doing. Like you guys are playing like Dominican, like pro Dominican teams, like the, the Blue Jays down there, stuff like that. Right. You're playing these minor league teams, stuff like that. So you already know what it's like to face minor league hitters so it, it's it's a massive adjustment so it does make more sense that you kind of flew up through those systems like that because you you got to face it when you were like 16 years old right so it makes more sense yeah. and it, you know you hit that learning curve early i got my i got my brains beat in when i was 16 but you know that's fine you learn um you know you don't make a habit about getting absolutely torched but you know i, I think you get a good sense early of, of what's on the other side of the diamond. And you look over there, you see physicality, you see speed, you see, you know, hand speed. Um, and you realize that there's a lot more to this game than just, you know, the bare basics of stuff throwing hard. Um, you know, I think that's what a lot of kids end up learning when they throw hard in high school is that if, you know, things aren't going well, just throw harder and it usually works. 
but in pro ball, it doesn't work like that. And, um, you know, I got to learn that before I got there. Um, so I kind of, again, had already gone through that learning curve, but, uh, at least as a pitcher, if you have stuff and you're, you're throwing strikes, you're beating it up and you just kind of, you know, have some resilience on the mound, you know, you don't. Yeah, no worries, man. Not, that might be on me. But I, what I also wanted to talk about was this. So obviously you mentioned like you felt like you were not superior, but you weren't like you were better than the level you were at. What level were you at at that point in your career, like early in your career where you're like, all right, maybe I need to like marinate here and stay here for a little bit because I still have a, t- a ton of shit that I have to learn. Uh, double A. Um, that was that was the nice part about uh, that season is that our farm directors approached me and Colby Allard after a good season in low A. We had the full season there. Uh, a lot of us, you know, spent that that whole year there and we ended up winning the championship there. And, um, you know, obviously we knew we were going to end up going up to high A. We were staying low A, but uh, they had kind of took us aside and we're like, all right, you know, are you going to shit your pants if we send you straight to double A or are you going to go out there and compete? And it was like, nope, well, let's go. Um, you know, and I had really good success early on in the first few games in double A, but I never felt like it was like, you know, easy. And then, you know, obviously I've, I had a couple of more difficult ones in, in May and got into it. And I was like, okay, you know what? These guys are, these guys are really good now. Uh, you know, you're starting to see some guys that are here for a reason. Um, you know, they're just more calm. Plate approach is different. Um, you know, it's it's really starting to weed out the players that, you know, don't really know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I feel like that full season in double A was was the year I learned the most by far. Yeah. And I love the minor league stories and I love the minor league. So on this podcast, we always get like we don't specifically every single podcast get a minor league player of the week or minor league story of the week. Sorry. But I need to I need to know. Obviously, you've spent some time in some absolutely horrendous leagues and horrendous. I mean, the Appalachian League, the Gulf Coast League is holy shit. You're playing in some you're in the trenches. Well, do you have any like funny minor league stories from your career? And I'll give you some context because we've had other minor league stories of like fans climbing light poles and machetes. We've had fans like wait for people at their the teams at their bus after the game to fight the players. We've had one of the funny stories is. These this elderly couple thought their seats were in the dugout, so they just walked down into the clubhouse, into the dugout, and just <laughs> sat there and had like no like there was obviously it was a small town, so there was like not enough security to be like what the what the fuck are you doing here? So do you have like any minor league stories like that, like just funny stories where you can look back on and just like laugh about? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean most of them are about somebody else though, so. I wouldn't always want to want to throw somebody under the bus, but, um, you know, I, I, like you said, those, some of those places down there and, and at least the GCL you're, you're playing in the complex leagues and stuff like that. But, um, you know, the Appalachian league, I think everybody, when you say that, what's the worst place you've played, <laughs> it's almost always somebody in the Appalachian league or, uh, is it the pioneer league? Pioneer league's um, terrible too. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how you guys I, do that think, shit. And, and that's kind of was, was my wake up call was like, well, hold on here. Like you just spent this much in the draft on, on all these players and I'm eating peanut butter and jelly for dinner. <laughs> like that, that, that's what it was like. Oh my goodness. Like I, I really have to, you know, if I want to eat well, I got to pick up a bunch of food on my way to the stadium. You know, I got to find a good spot in the fridge. I got to label it. So 
you know, it doesn't get stolen. Nobody's eating my food. Um, you know, little stuff like that, but, um, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's always good stories about, about some players. You can't obviously um, don't name drop them, but like give like, what's the context of the story? Like, Cause we've had some funny stories. Like after a championship game for, I think it was the Mariners farm system. I think Donnie Walton told this story. They, they won the championship. They went to the bar, the game, the day out, like the night of, and just one player on the team just walked up onto the, the, like the bar and just pissed himself in front of like 200 people. Like just, I, I, that's why I'm saying I love the minor league. So there's so many funny stories that fans like don't really know about from behind the scenes. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'll start this one. And honestly, this is a guy that you, you could probably have on your podcast. Um, he's actually in a, in a startup metal band now. He's a drummer. <laughs> uh, his name's Chase, Chase Johnson Mullins. He's, he's one of the, uh, Hey, he's one of the guys, I mean, there's, he's got stories. He can tell you a bunch of them, but, um, you know, I think that that year in Rome in Loe, um, we spent time, you know, obviously you get to June, July, it's, it's, you know, seasons, the dog day. Yeah. It's getting, it's getting monotonous. Um, end is nowhere in sight and, (laughs) you know, it's getting really hot. Um, you know, I, I think the, the funnier part is that we knew that the bullpen games really started to kind of ramp up um, at a certain point in that, that season. So we knew they were playing, you know, they were doing stuff like um, um, Duck, Duck, Goose. And, you know, they were, they were, they were starting to play games. And, and there were some bullpens in that league like Greenville that are super, super, you know, blocked off. You can't see anything in there <laughs> from the dugout, you know, but... <laughs> I remember our, our pitching coach, Dan Meyer, um, calling down to the dugout. I didn't even see this as going on. He's on the phone and he's yelling. I, I won't say everything he said, but, you know, he's like, what am I doing right now? I'm watching, you know, Josh Graham just pulled up for a jump shot on Chase Johnson Mullins. And I look down <laughs> and Chase, who's like six foot eight, is standing with like a ring around his arm and there I'm watching them like play one-on-one using chase as a hoop and it's mid game. It's just like, you know, they, they had a bunch of stuff where they got caught doing things that I'm like, you know, they were bringing naps down there and I, I was, it was getting a little sloppy. So, so some of those minor league ones are, are some of the best, some of the bullpen stories. Oh, dude, I, I couldn't imagine. Like, and like I said, man, I mean, a guy like you who you signed for a shit ton of money, like they invest a shit ton of money in you. They obviously want you and they expect you in the off season to be eating correctly, like working out all that type of shit. And then they'll just throw you in Rome and you're just eating. Fuck it. You're lucky if you're having a banana pregame and you're just the, like the clubhouse is the conditions aren't there. I don't know if it's like that in Rome, but I know other places it's not like it's like that. And they just are just throw you with the wolves and you're just like a first round draft pick. They just invested a shit ton in you. It's the craziest thing of all time. So in Rome, I heard it, like you mentioned, dude, it gets hot as fuck, right? Like it's just crazy down there. Yeah. I mean, that whole league, that, that whole Southern Atlantic league and the Southern league double a it's, I mean, it's all just hot. Uh, everybody will argue about where, where's hotter and it's, it's all just hot. Is uh, does the ball fly more there? No, no, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty heavy. Um, you know, and then the year in, in Mississippi, when we were there, um, it's a big, big stadium and it's even heavier and the ball doesn't go anywhere at night. Yeah. So that was, that was nice. But. So, 
So you being a first round draft pick, right? Obviously, like there's a target on your back whenever you go to opposing ballparks, all that type of shit. Did you notice you catching a lot of chirps, a lot of flack from the opposing fans that had some liquor courage when you would go to other fields and stuff? Honestly, I, I don't remember any. Like there's a couple places in the Southern League, I guess, where the, the bullpen kind of lines up, you know, almost in the stands and you know, you get some people that a lot of times they don't spend much time on the chirps and they just, you know, they say something that's not that funny, but, um, you know, definitely in other places in the big leagues, like, um, obviously Philadelphia is really oh, well known, dude. you know, the, the bullpen, the bullpen's right up the top and people will do their homework there. And if you give them anything to, to, to run on, you know, they're, they're going to cross a line eventually. Um, I really don't remember too many things that were said to me, but I remember that day it was like, all right, like we're, we're getting there. Some of these are almost laugh worthy, but, um, and then honestly in the, in the playoffs in uh, St. Louis too, um, there's some people leaning over the bullpen, kind of giving it to me pregame, but, um, it was a pretty good bullpen pregame. So I, they really wasn't bothering. So me you're buzzing. And I always wonder this because listen, I am an advocate for if you're above the age of 20 years old or we'll say 25 because there's some liquor curds in the early 20s when it's kind of funny that you're chirping players obviously you guys do such a good job of like ignoring it right like not even like and just you think people would think you guys are robots not even like reacting to it but you guys hear the shit right like it's it's impossible to tune that stuff out how hard is it for you especially being a canadian guy like obviously we grow up kind of the same way where you grow up with hockey players you love chirping each other and just talking shit was it how tough is it for you to just hear someone just unlimited time just bashing you and you can't do fuck all? Yeah, I don't know if it's if you I mean, you can you certainly can. And and that's where something like you said, it's with hockey, it's back and forth all game. Yeah, um, which is fine. But, you know, I found pretty early with baseball that, you know, if I got angry, I, t- I tried to do too much. It doesn't work the same in hockey and hockey, basketball. You know, a lot of those sports, you can just try harder. You know, you can just work harder and you're going to kind of find that, that, you know, anger to, to, to get you through it. But with baseball, it does not work like that. You know, it's a fine, it's a fine motor skill. It's a skill sport. Um, so for me, when I start getting wrapped up in all that, you know, I want it too bad and, and it just goes south. So that's, that's why I would choose to be removed from it. Um, but the, the funny part is when you can tell that the person's actually you know, they're doing it to be funny. They're not doing it to, to be, they're not doing it to to actually make you angry. And I think that's where sometimes you see some fans that, that get into it with players. It's usually because they crossed the line to where it was like, Whoa, man, like that, that wasn't funny. Yeah. You know, that wasn't thoughtful. That wasn't smart. You know, it wasn't funny. Um, you know, especially when they start looking you up and they start bringing family into the That's crazy to me, dude. That like, that part happens a lot. It's crazy to me because I, Matzik was telling me a story where when he was pitching in L.A. Um, in the playoffs, like his family, like his wife, and they were just catching flack from people, like death threats, like just just being personal with that stuff. And it just takes away. And people wonder why, like some people wonder why athletes can be dicks sometimes to the average fan. It's because they have to deal with people that just take it above and beyond. And if you give a fan an inch, they're going to take a mile with that shit, right? So have you have you like had to deal with Dodgers fans for because I heard they're like one of the worst with it like they are very personal and all that type of stuff I've never actually played in Dodgers Stadium I've been there um 
you know, haven't been there. I, I still think Phillies fans are the worst for, for getting into it. And I know they're not all like that, but you know, that's, it's notorious that when you go to Philly, you're going to, you're going to hear it. Um, you know, and, and like I said, there, there's some that are good. There's some that the bullpen will go back and forth with all night and they're going to laugh, but sometimes, yeah, they end up calling security and say, we're going to get this guy out of here. But uh, I think with it, the bigger problem now is social media. Oh, dude. Uh, because, because that's where, you know, people don't know the whole story about some things. They, they, you know, they'll just let it eat and they'll, they'll spread stuff. And, um, you know, we had, I, I won't use names, but we had a couple players in particular getting, you know, full on yeah, threats and everything regarding families before games uh, because he was betting against that player, whoever he was sending him to. Uh, they ended up catching the guy, and I think he's actually – I don't know what is going on, but we had the, we had the FBI involved, um, you know, again, because they were sending these, these awful, awful, awful uh, messages and then betting against the person, hoping that they saw it and were all rattled. Um, stuff like uh, stuff like that, that, that ruins it for a lot of people. But uh, you just got to do your best to, to try and see through a lot of that stuff and understand that the vast majority of Major League Baseball fans are, are good people and uh, respect you as a person too yeah and, and i mean the thing that i love is like I, i'm under the impression and i have a rule that i genuinely think social media could follow maybe you could kind of be an advocate for this if you have a social media account your name should be behind it no more burners i think burners are the craziest fucking thing of all time the fact that someone could just willingly create an account and just have no premise no worried about like their identity being displayed none of that stuff and just come at these athletes like is crazy to me it's crazy that that's like a, a legitimate thing. So you've got it pretty bad, I'm assuming, because you, like I said, you uh, all star in 2019. You were the main guy there in that ro- one of the main guys in that rotation. So they're coming at you the hardest, right? Like that, you had to deal with that. Um, you know, sometimes I, I think a lot of times it's just again people don't know the context to a lot of things, and that's where, you know, uh, especially with injuries, that that's it's really tough, and that's why, you know, I haven't been on Twitter in, in a long time. You know, I'll see some stuff that. I still have it. So when people send me stuff, I can see, but you know, Twitter is one of the worst for that because, you know, people like to share what they think is actually happening and, and it's just not, and you want to get involved and you want to, you know, you're going to be out there correcting and you just can't do that. Uh, it just doesn't matter. And, and that's where, um, you know, people think they know best and that's where it's just tough. So, um, you know, I, I still say I would rather, catch shit for a bad game than you know catch stuff for being on the il and stuff like that that because that stuff eats at you that's not a lot of stuff that you could change at least at least if you have a bad game and you gotta wear it at least i gotta i got another chance to to go fix something the next time out and you know shove it shove it down but when it comes to personal stuff and and that's where it's it's really tough and that's where i I, you know took a bow out of twitter and you know, sticking to sticking to some other stuff. You retired. You retired from the game. Doing my research as well. I so I looked up that 2017 Mississippi Braves team, and I always talk about like the best minor league team of all time. Like I brought up the Jays when they had Bo, Vladi, Kevin Biggio, like all these guys. This team might take the cake. <laughs> this team might take the cake for the best minor league team Was I've it ever the, seen. The the 17 Mississippi or is it the uh, 17 uh, Mississippi? Is am I looking at the wrong one? Because this team is disgusting. It's just all big leaguers. So six, 16 Rome Braves is pretty good too. But yeah, go ahead. So wait, where? Let me look at the 16 Rome Braves. So they they might because I was Macuna Acuna there too. 
So, yeah, that team had Acuna, Tyler Flowers, Austin Riley, you, Max Freed. Holy shit. AJ Minter was there a little bit. So, yeah, what, what was the best minor league team you were a part of that just absolutely dominated the league? Because this, this team, the Rome Braves, was 70 and 69, if, I'm, yeah, if the record's correct. So what was the best minor league team you've been a part of? Yeah, so the, the thing about Rome is that, I mean, the first half was kind of a mess. Um, but the second half is where we really hit stride. And that's where, you know, we kept a lot of our players there. We didn't send up everybody who was cruising through. But, um, you know, the, the thing about the, the 17 Mississippi Braves was that there was a few guys in that lineup who at the time, you know, were kind of just scuffling and or kind of trying to figure it out and are now, you know, well-established big leaguers and one being Dylan Moore. He's with Seattle now. Yeah. And the other being Connor Joe with uh, um, the Rockies. Um, you know, so that's, that's that 17 Mississippi Braves was sneaky too, but um, I still would say that 16 Rome Braves team at the end of the year, if you, if you made that team again, um, not including obviously major league rehab guys like flowers, but um, you know, when we broke into the playoffs, our rotation, it was, you know, myself, Max Freed, Colby Allard, um, Tukey Toussaint. Uh, actually, we, we might have even put Tukey in the bullpen. Um, and Ricardo Sanchez, who's with the, uh, I believe he's with the Cardinals now. He, he could be with someone else. But, um, you know, that's where that pitching staff and we had Patrick Weigel go up earlier that year. Um, and then, yeah, our lineup filled with, you know, Acuna and Riley in the middle um, was pretty good. And that's, that's, <laughs> it's essentially. Like that's said, a decent you, you middle probably, of the lineup. That's a de- yeah, how you, many, how many careers do you think Ronald Acuna and Austin Riley ended in the minor leagues? Like just guys that they just mashed. And it's like, are you released? Like the week after it's like a start, like that lineup, you guys must've just absolutely obliterated minor league baseball team. That's a major league team down there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, at the end of the year, I think we definitely had some that, that got, you know, it got ugly. Um, but you know, I, at least at that point you give up a bunch of bombs to, to Riley and Acuna. I think anybody can see that it's like, all right, well, those guys are going to get it anyways. So don't <laughs> worry about it. Um, you know, I, I think it was probably more, honestly, that the best run I ever saw Ronald go on was in Mississippi the next year. Um, could probably look it up. I, it was probably somewhere in like you know, June, July of 17 and the dude hit like 500 for three weeks. <laughs> and, and, and I mean like the hardest 500 you've ever seen too. It wasn't like, yeah, he's, he's running out singles. It was like every ball he hit was absolutely scorched. And that's when, you know, I, I remember getting an argument with Colby in the outfield one day and he, he'll corroborate this for sure. But, I said, I said, 
Acuna's best year in the big leagues. This is the time, which is even hilarious now. I said, best year in the big leagues, how many home runs does he hit? And I said, I said 35. I said at least 35. I think he'll be a 300 hitter, hit 35. No problem. And Colby's telling me, no, he doesn't have pop like that. He doesn't, he doesn't have it like that. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's good. He's going to, he's going to hit his speed, but like, you know, not 35, he's a 25. And that night he hit a changeup where he like, he did one of those ones where he like double clutch. So he, he planted his foot and saw that it was a changeup and held his hands and then let it fly and hit the, hit the changeup over the batter's eye at night in Mississippi. And I'm charting and I'm in the stands and I look down in the dugout and Colby's looking at me and he's like, he kind of just like gives me the, the, the look up is like, yep. I, th- I think, I think you're right on that one. And obviously lo and behold, he's like three years into the big leagues. He's already looking at 40, 40 seasons. So, I mean, it's yeah, he, he kept getting better. Dude. I got to ask you about Acuna because obviously, like I said, like we talked about, man, you, you played in like, you played in the Canadian national team. You obviously got to see some dogs, but was Acuna that first guy that you saw where it's like, this dude is just different. Like this dude is, is going to be a big leaguer for a very long time. And you could make the case. He's one of the best in the, like top five in the league right now. Clearly. Mm-hmm. Was he one of those guys where it's like, Holy shit, this guy is special. Yeah. I think obviously, I mean, not on that quite that level until later. I, I don't think, you know, everybody uh, right on signing. Cause I think he only signed for you know, less signed for less than hundred K. Really? Um, yeah, he wasn't a big signing. Uh, neither was, was Ozzy Albies. Um, so that was the thing about them is that once they started playing, it was like, okay, you know, we got something here. But, um, you know, when we when we signed Ronald, obviously he would have been, you know, probably about a buck 60, buck 70. Uh, he was a kid, right? And, and that's where I played with him at GCL. And I will say, yes, he was the first guy that I saw that I was like, whoa, you know, that's just... You know, I can hear his bat from the dugout when he swings and misses. I can, I can, you know, it's just a different sound. Um, and then I saw Riley in the GCL right before we both went up to Danville. Now I, I show up in Danville and Riley started hitting there. You know, he, he'd hit a few home runs that were really, really well hit. And then Acuna comes up. And I remember telling the, some of the guys, I said, look, Ronald might hit the ball harder than, than Austin. And at that point, Austin was like, probably 60 pounds heavier than than Ronald you know Austin was you know a bit of a man child and and Ronald was still a kid and I got laughed at they're like they're like no no way and you know I don't, I don't know who I choose to corroborate this one but I said all right and sure enough he starts hitting some balls in Danville and people are like oh they're like I didn't see that coming you know he's just he was a kid and then just lightning hands lightning hips um and it kept kept going, um, like I said. And then I think two, three years later, everyone's like, "No, he'll he'll win an MVP." I I love those stories. I'm so fascinated with it because like Ronald Acuna is like, because I'm a massive Jays guy, so Ronald Acuna to me is like what a Vladdy was in the minors, where it's like you're watching this dude, and I believe in Rome with you. And I could let me search this up because I want to be correct on this. Yeah, dude, he hit three eighty eight in Danville. And then he comes to Rome and it's 387. It's like this dude is like, there must be urban legends of, because obviously those are small towns. There must be people that like 
live and die by those minor league teams that are just telling stories that make their face light up about Ronald Acuna Jr., dude. Like, was there any games that you specifically remember? Because you mentioned that run where he hit 500, which is obviously a great a great story. But is there any, like, games that you saw him play there where you're like, I, I can't believe, like, a five-for-five five game with three nukes? Like, did he have any of those games where you're like, this guy's insane? Yeah, it would have been on that run in Mississippi. But, you know, even even some other stuff, I remember him making a, a diving catch running straight back in the rain on a backfield game in spring training where nobody would have seen that. Um, but everybody on that diamond was like, Oh my, like that was, <laughs> that was absurd. Um, you know, and then for like a month after that, he was only ever trying to make highlight reel catches in the outfield. But, um, you know, I, I think he has, a, he's had a bunch of them when he went up to Gwinnett later that year in AAA in 17, he did the same thing there. And everybody was like, Whoa. You know, if you look up those numbers at the end of 17, um, it's just his OPS was probably like 1300 for that month. Oh my and, God. You know, it's that the funniest part is that he looked every bit of a kid until probably like last year, the year before. And that's where I think people looked at him and were like, no way he can do that. And then before you know it, he he's, he's one of those guys where, you throw the ball and you're, you're used to seeing this kind of like chain of reaction where, you know, you're throwing a fastball and you can tell at a certain point whether the hitter's going to swing or not. Yeah. Or if he, if he's going to, it's, it's just too late. That's where Ronald gets to You throw the ball and you think it's too late to swing and then his hands are gone and he's still on time. And that's where it's like, you know, he's just one of those players. He's just it's very absurd. special. It's absurd. What is he lifetime against you? Have you got a chance to face Acuna? Many times, actually. And I, I he, he's not, he hasn't hit too well <laughs> off me so far. Um, you know, we, we faced each other a lot uh, during the pandemic uh, at a high school field. And then um, in summer camp that year before I got hurt. Um, for, yeah, for whatever reason, I, I don't know if he'd say the same thing. I don't, I don't, I don't remember him ever, you know, getting me. Uh, Ozzy, on the other hand, has got me a couple times. <laughs> Um, but no, I think, uh, there's something about the, like, like sinker changeup that Ronald just doesn't love off me. Um, I'm sure it might be different in a, in a real competitive setting if, you know, it was real game on and we weren't just two friends playing, but, um, you know, like I said, it's, it's one of those ones where I'm definitely a little more careful to him. Even, even when you, even when you get him out, you know, that you never really have him. Yeah, he'll, he'll, he's just like a computer just working his brain trying to understand what he can do against you next at bat. That's what he's doing. Exactly. He, he's just a freak of nature. But in your when you were in Mississippi, man, I mean, you have you had a t- 275 ERA. And I know I asked this too earlier, but was at, at that point, you're starting to get a ton of national recognition. Like you're moving into like the top 100 prospect list, top 50 prospect list. Was that when you realized, like and you and your family realized, like, I have a really good chance of being a big leaguer now, like just because that level is one of the hardest to get through. Right. That's what I always hear on this podcast is double A is the toughest. Was that when you realized like, all right, like I think I have a really good chance of being a big leaguer now. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would have told you that I always did. I think at that point that that's kind of again, going back to what I, what I said earlier. Yeah. And then I think you kind of have to be like that, but um, I think, yeah, at the end of that year, um, you know, honestly, even considering it's like, all right, you know, I've pitched well enough to where 
you know, if they feel like they need a guy, it could be a September call up, um, which at the, at the time, looking back, I'm like, that team was nowhere near the playoffs. They had absolutely yeah. no reason to start my clock at that point. Um, you know, it happened a month into the next season, but um, yeah, I think it was at that point that year, I went to the futures game, got to see all that. That was a lot of fun. Um, you know, be with some players that year. Uh, I think that the big ones were obviously Acuna, Rafael Devers was there. Wow. Um, Jan Mancata and, and, you know, some, some other bigger names. Um, and, you know, got to see basically the next crop of big leaguers at that game and, and kind of compare yourself. Um, so, yeah, I, I think at the end of that year was, was when it was all right, you know, keep going, stay healthy and, and let it eat. Yeah. And then I, we have to talk about your debut because obviously the day de- I love the debut stories. They fire me up. I have a history of going to friends of the podcast debuts. So I got to ask you about yours, man. I mean, so what did, is there a funny story about like the manager calling in you into the office or none of that shit? It was just, you're in the show, pack your shit, get up to Atlanta right now. Yeah. I, I wish I, I had a funny one, but you know, it didn't lend itself to that because they needed to push my start in Quinnette. Um, so Damon Barry Hill, our manager at the time, AAA kind of just told me, he was like, look, you're either going to pitch. I forget what it was. You're either going to pitch Wednesday night in New York or Thursday back here in Gwinnett. So, you know, I'll let you, I'll let you know. Um, and then, yeah, day later he calls me and said, yeah, you're going, you're going up. So I had two days, uh, which was awesome. I, I, you know, got some close family out there and a lot of close family friends, uh, that were able to come down and watch. So. That, that was a lot of fun, but um, that's definitely one of those times where, you know, it, it doesn't quite feel real when you're out there. Um, you know, it, it's a completely new stimulus. Add that extra deck, especially at City Field. Um, you know, it's not like it was packed that that night. I think it was, it was a weekday game. Um, but, you know, I was pitching well enough to where I didn't really hear too much of the crowd that much. You know, there was a couple times they had runners on, you know, every once in a while, but it wasn't until I gave up a, I gave up a solo shot to Cespedes in the sixth. And it was like, boom, there's the crowd. They're screaming, they're yelling now. And it was like, oh, okay. You know, it was a bit of a wake up call at that point, but um, yeah, I think you just go out there and you got to trust what you've done and, and just again, let it eat. Um, you know, I gotten lucky the Braves did a, did a prospect game earlier in the year where we did it at, at Truist or I was then SunTrust, but, uh, you know, you got to see a big league stadium a couple of times before then. And, you know, it doesn't, doesn't feel too much different once you get back into it, but it definitely makes every, every other game that you've ever played in your life up to that point feel not real. Um, so that, that's an interesting feeling when you go back to the minor leagues. And we could talk about a lot of stats and stuff like this, but I think this is something you don't know about. And this is what makes, in my opinion, I'm going to put my own tires here, my brain just so elite is I think <laughs> you lead all MLB players in the stat of drunk Canadian college kids' jerseys. I think I've seen your jersey at, like, college parties in Canada more than I've seen Blue Jays guys. Like, do you know that's a stat <laughs> that you have? I The Mike Soroka drunk teenage university kid jersey is all time and it's just there's tons of them in the area do you know that you own that stat in my head I did not no that that's awesome though I, i'm i'm you know i'm pumped to hear that man uh really i mean it, it's something that uh 
you know, I get to see in Calgary every once in a while. I was there, you know, this last February and, and we went out for a buddy's birthday and, um, you know, I see the occasional kid in a, in a Braves hat and I'll walk by and I'll say, Hey, go Braves. <laughs> and, you know, they, they typically have no idea, but, um, you know, that's funny to me, but, uh, no, that's cool. I, uh, I, I love that. Uh, hopefully give them something to cheer about sometime soon, man. Yeah. I, I just, I, like I said, I'm so fascinated with the off field stuff. I wonder what the average blood alcohol level is of Canadians wearing Mike Soroka jerseys on the weekend. You, I, like, you're, so you're saying they have to be inebriated? No, I'm saying like, what? that's like a party trick. Like where it's like, look at this fucking Soroka jersey. It can our very own. And I've seen tons of them. It's like, the, like I said, that's like their party outfit. They love the Soroka jersey because obviously it's, it's, it's not the typical Jays jersey you see. It's kind of a style flex. And maybe I have to get myself one and figure it out because I want to join <laughs> that cult of the Mike Soroka college kid jersey frat that I, that I need to be a part of. So it's like it's something out there that I've seen and I've recognized being myself a college kid a couple of years ago. So I had to bring it up to you. That's nice. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So obviously being massive in Canada and stuff like that, obviously when you made that debut, you were the, I believe the first Canadian to ever give up zero earned runs in an opening day start. Um, maybe someone's going to stat check me on that. I did go to junior college, so please lay off. I'm not the brightest, but I think that stat <laughs> is correct. What is that like to, because to start actually shattering like major league records for your nation, like guys that have never done that, that are Canadian citizens, because that's crazy, man. Yeah, those are those are definitely ones that kind of put you back in your seat a little bit when you see them. And, and you know, that's one thing Twitter sometimes is good for is after a good start, you get your your tires pumped. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think when you start doing stuff like that and you realize, you know, not many people have done some of those things. And and there's always going to be stats like that. People are going to be able to reach for stuff. And and but that, that I feel like is one that kind of holds some weight. And, um you know, I, I still say that was going to be one of the weirder opening days in baseball history because there was nobody in the stands. Yeah, right? it was the, it was the pandemic season. And actually, if you want a good story about that one, too, it's. I had, I had a pretty good feeling, actually, it wasn't I'm not sure if it was this one or another one. Um, I'm pretty sure it was this opening day. And, and I had a pretty good feeling that Ronald was going to see a first pitch slider to start the game. So I said, all right, from DeGrom. I said, all right, what are the, what are the chances my first pitch is harder than DeGrom's first pitch? <laughs> and people were like, no, 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 no. Well, he throws a slider. I think it was 93. Um, and I'm like, all right, you know, I, I can do that. I go out there. There's nobody in the stands. I'm like, I, it's, it's just, it's just weird. I'm like, this is a big league game. Like you got to get going. I'm like slapping myself in the face. Um, you know, I gave it everything I got. It was like 92. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I throw my head up. DeGrom just throws the first pitch slider harder than my first pitch fastball. Um, you know, and then got to watch him go punch out the world that day, too. And, and a bunch of other days. I faced him a few times. And um, I will say, like, I, I will uh, I will take it to the grave a lot of times that I, I can compete with whoever I'm, I'm facing. But at that point, he was... I, I think the only pitcher I've ever matched up with in my life where I was like, you are, he's on another level. Like I, I just, I feel inferior when I got on the mound and I'm throwing, even on a good day, if I'm like 92, 96, you know, I, I just feel inferior. Um, when I, I get to go back to the dugout and I watch him, you know, 
could could routinely punch out 14, 15 a game um, in like 95 pitches. And and he's sitting 98 the whole time. It's like, oh, it's ridiculous, dude. It's ridiculous. Like, and one thing that I, I do, I do feel for guys like you, obviously, like you're a number one starter, rightfully so. And you were at that time as well. You are going, you're matching up against the best guys in the league. Like you, you never really catch a break. Like you're, you're going up against a Grom and then maybe the next start you're going up against Kershaw. And then the next start, you're maybe going up against, against like, like, like Max Scherzer. Do you realize that like when you were being the number one starter, it's like, man, every single game, does it kind of elevate your game being like, I'm going up against their best guy every single time? Absolutely. I mean, it's just like anything else when you end up in a good rotation, uh, when you're competing for spots in the minor leagues, it's the same thing. I mean, it's, it's competition. That's, that's ultimately what drives you to, to be better. And, and, you know, I think the the hard part about that is that there's a line where, you know, I can appreciate DeGrom and I can go compete against him, but I got to compete in my way. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the hard part for me is that I'm like, all right, you know, I see he can do that. So I, I can do that too. And then you go out and you're trying to be somebody that you're not, um, you know, I think that's where I get bit, but um, yeah, without a doubt when you're having to face those guys night in night out. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's elevating, but again, you got to be careful not to start comparing yourselves because you know, that's a, it's a tough rabbit hole, especially because so many of those pitchers, they don't see a lot of that immediate success right in the big leagues. And, you know, I know myself and I'm sure Freed could probably say the same thing is when you, when you start to kind of get put in that category of some of the best pitchers in baseball, people are always going to find your faults as to why you're not one of them. And for me, obviously early on, it's strikeouts. They're like, Oh, he doesn't strike out enough guys to be considered in that tier of pitching and you know they have a valid argument and that's where you know i got to be careful is go back and say all right you know i have to strike out more people and the reality is is that a lot of the games that i i I end up do striking out people i'm not necessarily trying to and when i try to it's when you start getting in deep counts you know you're pitching away from contact early in early in the in the count um it's just it's tiring. It's too much. And, and it's something that you got to learn how to do. So, um, yeah, it, it's a fine line, but at the end of the day, yes, it's, it's elevating. It's I wonder what it's like on like to be Jacob DeGrom. And obviously I'll never know. Maybe I'll be the Jacob DeGrom of podcasting someday. You know, I got a people, you know, whatever I'll be, maybe I'll, yeah, that's what we'll start calling me the Jacob DeGrom of podcasting. But do you think Jacob DeGrom realizes that other guys in the league kind of take a step back and watch them and they're just not fascinated, but like they turn into fans for a second, just based off of how like unicorn shit his stuff is. Do you, do you like, obviously uh, your games are kind of different. Cause he's like a massive, massive strikeout guy. And you're more of like a, like you're like, like you mentioned, you're not that much of a strikeout guy compared to him. Do you for now? Yeah. For now, do you pick stuff up off of him? Like just the way, like his sequences, like his grips or like, even if, if he's ever talked about his grips or stuff like that, like do you kind of, work off of other big league pitchers or other guys in your rotation? Um, yeah, I think you need to be careful though. And, and, you know, understand how different some people are. Um, obviously we're built quite a bit differently. We move very differently. Um, and that's something that you got to kind of watch out for. Um, you know, I, I think uh, there's some things that I'm starting to learn that, that mechanically are, are, some things that I need to do a better job of to, you know, give myself a chance. 
honestly, just to stay healthy first and foremost. Um, but watching guys like him, guys like Scherzer, uh, obviously they're doing something right. Um, and you know, it's kind of fun to watch, but, um, as far as Jake and, and whether he knows that tree sure has an idea, obviously everybody knows. And, uh, <laughs> but he, he really is from what I know to be, to be a really humble, uh, you know, I remember walking out to the, to the bullpen at the all-star game with him and, you know, he's telling me that he's, he's nervous. And I'm like, <laughs> man, like you threw an immaculate inning here, like last year or the year before, like, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, like if you're nervous, I don't know, should I be, should I be filling my pants here? Or like what's going on? Um, so he, he's still, you know, super humble. And, and that's another page that, you know, you gotta, you gotta take out of, out of that and, and apply it yourself. Yeah. I, it, it, it's definitely a good point. To, it just, yeah. And we'll, we'll like a couple more things. So we, I want to talk about that all-star game, man, because especially like me being a Canadian kid and obviously having a lot of pride here with like the baseball that we have here and shit like that. That was a sick point for me. And maybe that was an, a thing that kind of bolted you into becoming such a phenom across uh, Canadian colleges with the jerseys, the Mike Soroka uh, party trick. What was that like, man, to just be named a uh, major league all-star? You're, you're alongside guys like Scherzer, Kershaw, like you're all these like future Hall of Famers. What was that like to just be in that presence? And how was it like, how did you find out? Like, did they know, let you know earlier? Yeah, we... Um obviously the position players are named earlier and, and that's where, you know, it's pretty obvious on, on some of them, but uh, we're in the clubhouse and, and Snitker was, was handing it all out and he handed it to, to Ronald and Freddie and uh, kind of paused and then, you know, and ended up saying that I made it as well. And, and that's a moment I'll never forget, uh, especially because, you know, at that point it was uh, technically my rookie season, but you know, I'd been up the year before and yeah. then I got hurt. Um, so when I got called back up in 19, I was really just trying to string a start time and, and earn another one. Um, so to look up in, in was pretty, pretty, you think, all right, you know, I can, I can do that all the time. And then you game kind of slows down. You start to think, and uh, you know, you realize it's not all that easy that, you know, you're trying to find what you were doing right for that run, but um, no, that all-star game was, was incredible. Like you said, you're, you're up with some guys where, you know, you see the patch on their jersey. They've been there eight, nine times. Um, it, it's pretty incredible to be a part of. Um, you know, it's, it's an experience I won't ever forget. And um, like I said, it's, it's probably the only time in my life that I've ever had like a, a moment where I doubted if I belonged or not. Um, you know, I always felt like at every level, I was like, yeah, I belong here. I can compete here. Uh, but I think when I got there, I was like, whoa. One thing that I want to bring up is, is this is obviously we do a lot of tire pumps on this show, as you know. But there's a picture that you post on your Instagram that I don't know if you catch flack from it uh, in the Braves dugout. I don't know Uh-oh. if you got paid for it. Do you know what, you know what picture I'm talking about? Maybe. W- which one are you thinking? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there's one that I might have deleted or not, but it it probably is the BioSteel one. Oh this, no! What's no, the deal with this one? one? People love this one. Yeah, people love that one. What, yeah, so, they, so they. What's the background on this? Because this, you look like a like a I can't describe like a Russian boxer. Like what, what the, was the, what the was hair? The, 
the hair could have been a little tighter up here, definitely a little long up top. But <laughs> um, so I found that that jacket. Um, we were cleaning out uh, my. I was in my grandpa's basement or our basement. And I was in one of my grandpa's old old jackets, and uh, I thought it was awesome. I, I'd never really seen much like that before. Um, honestly, the most awkward I felt in it was when I went into Starbucks to pick up my coffee that one day, and I got some weird looks. But um, you know, I, people love that one. Uh, it just so happened that that day, um, the photographer that, that works for Canadian Sport Institute, uh, Dave Holland, was was hanging around. I said, "Hey, you want to come out and take some shots of me throwing this thing quick?" And uh, he made it. He made it look really, really good. So, so you uh, get like you get roasted does. in this pick? Is this the one that gets you roasted in? So, there there is a fine line for me. You know, when I'm under two twenty, is like, you know, I don't fit XLs quite properly. I'm bagging the midsection. But when I go down to a large, I'm all of a sudden in a, in a medium. And uh, so that was one point there. Um, but, you know, when I'm at like 230 right now, I fit XLs perfectly. So um, it works. But I um, had to do a middle part there also um, because my hair just wasn't quite grown out enough. Um, and I had like, I had like a trainer take that picture. I was like, Hey, I need to get this to BioSteel. Um, you know, we didn't have access to a photography crew because it was COVID season. Um, but yes, I, I probably, uh, Darren, Darren O'Day has said some choice words about that photo. <laughs> um, and, uh, none that I can repeat. That's such an all-time pick. And now that I'm actually seeing it, like just me being a locker room guy, I would have just let it eat on you. I would have just had it would like just there's so many things that you could just break down in this picture. Maybe I'll post this on our Instagram and do just roast me and just see what the people come up with, like caption contest. But that is just electric. I, I, yeah, I see it now. But BioSteel, by the way, free ad. I used to actually like deliver it. I used to deliver Red Bull and BioSteel together. So this is how you know our friendship's going to work out here because you're a BioSteel guy. I'm a former BioSteel delivery guy. So it just makes the most sense. Two parts of the food chain. You just love to see it. But um, the last thing I want to talk about is obviously like one thing that I've noticed is, is and Braves Twitter can be pretty uh, harmful towards people, uh, towards players, obviously, just like every fan base. But one thing that I've noticed with you is I follow a lot of the Braves accounts and they follow me. And it's been a pretty positive out, like outreach with you. It's like a lot of people are just wondering how you, what, like where you're at right now with your rehabbing process. How are you feeling? A lot of positive vibes because obviously, man, you're an all-star. You're, you, you were the opening day starter. So they love you down there or up there. I don't know what it is. Where are you at right now? Cause the main thing that searches is how is Mike Soroka doing? Like, that's one thing that I noticed on Google that everyone's searching. So how are you? Let the people know. Yeah, I think, you know, we're doing good. We're doing really good. Um, you know, it, it's still at the point where we're just kind of, we want to make sure we need to make sure things are, are where they need to be. Um, you know, I'm at the point now where stuff is, is feeling great. My arm is feeling awesome. I'm really ready to, to do a lot of this stuff. I'm ready to compete again, but you know, there's just some last things that we need to make sure of, you know, we need to make sure that when I start adding innings, adding volume on my feet, that things don't get out of hand because, you know, the absolute last thing we want is to push too early and end up at a position at the end of the year where, you know, we either take steps back uh, or, you know, or, or hurt something else. Um, you know, that's, that's, one thing that's still just lingering is that we need to get confidence moving forward that, you know, this is it. I, when I, when I get back, 
we're, we're done. We're not taking care of, of old injuries anymore. You know, it's, it's let's go. And, and we're close. We're close. It's just, you know, a matter at this point of, of like I said, making sure, regaining that confidence on my feet. Um, you know, there's a lot of mental blocks that anybody has to go through when, when you get hurt. Retrusting something that has blown for you is, is difficult. And you know what? I, I, I freely say that doing it the second time has made me a lot more cautious. And that's where it's like, all right, you know, I got to get through that. I got to, I got to, you know, just get back to being an athlete first. And uh, that's kind of what we're, we're, we're doing right now. Like I said, we're, we're in live BPs, um, getting to face some hitters, which is a lot of fun. Um, but now is the time to work on some stuff. And again, make sure that when I'm back, I'm back. I respect that. That's, and that's going to make me want to run through a brick wall. And I can't even imagine what it's going to make Braves fans feel like, because obviously you're that piece that gets added to the puzzle. It's like picking up a massive arm at free agency. That's how fans are going to see it, right? Like a guy that's going to be thrown into the rotation and just be able to compete. And like you said, man, you know your body now so well, just based off of the stuff that you've been through. What did you do while you were like rehabbing? Like, are you a video game guy, golf guy? Like, what are you doing? Uh, rehabbing. Just rehabbing. It, I mean, it, it's it's an injury that, kind of requires attention I, I feel like more than a lot of other ones um you know it's, as a calf being resilient as it is to to regain calf strength regain regain elasticity you, you can't really take you know you can't really take your time with a lot of stuff you got to stay on it um you know the first five six months of an achilles rehab is is pretty miserable to be honest with you yeah. i mean even when you're out of the out of the boot, finally your Achilles is so tight, can't walk. You know you're limping, and and you know that's that's a really tough time because uh, you could barely walk for you know a couple months worth, and you're wondering how you're supposed to be able to jump off of it, wow, and do stuff like that again. And and that's why I think this one's you know so much more difficult for that. But um, yeah, it, it's something that's really kind of taken up a lot of my time. I want to make sure I do it right. You know, we have an opportunity in, in our profession to, to, you know, make the rest of our lives based on a few years. You know, we have a small window to succeed. And, you know, if I want a chance to, to do what I feel like I was meant to do, then it requires my attention. But uh, I've never been a huge video game guy. I'll watch shows. You know, I need, I need shows to get my mind off it. I, I, I will say I, I'll crush I'll crush some stuff when it comes out. Cause there is a time in the day where it's like, all right, I need to recover. You know, I need to do whatever, put my heat packs on. Um, you know, I, I'm using something called the arc wave also. And, and, you know, that's a completely different discussion, but um, you know, there's been some good shows out uh, some good shows wrapping up to Peaky Blinders and Ozark. Uh, obviously looking forward to the last few episodes of stranger things that are going to come out, I think tomorrow. Um, so I'll watch a good show. I love that. And can you, in, in a selfish way, can you aim for your return when I go visit Matzik in Pittsburgh at the end of August? Is that, or is that a realistic date? End of August? Yeah. Can we, I, listen, I'm not going to be greedy. Maybe you could just show up there just to meet me and hang out with me and Matzik. Maybe that can be our thing. But let's aim for the end of August here when I go visit him in Pittsburgh. Look, I, I would love to be there. Um, <laughs> I, that's, I know that's not, that's not a direct answer. Um, you know, we had always aimed at, at you know, around all-star break 
Um, but we're finding right now, it's just like, okay, you know, I just need, I need more time to do this one little thing. I need to get this right. Um, and that's why we still haven't put a, uh, a fine and look, I'm, not, I'm not asking for a date i'm just being selfish and hopefully even if you're even if you want to rehab and maybe throw a live i'll be there too we'll see but i just want and maybe i'll guarantee you because i'll guarantee you, i might be back at your debut i might fly down to a atl watch your debut because i'm a mike soroka guy we'll figure something out now but i'm excited for it man i appreciate you coming on this podcast this was big for me i mean I, we've had ton, humble brag we've had tons of big time guests but this one hits closer to home, you being that good Canadian kid and understanding the lingo. So I'm juiced Thank up you. for you, man. I'm fired up to see you come back. It's going to be something that's going to give a lot of Braves fans chills, obviously seeing their guy back. So um, me being selfish, hopefully it's in August when I'm down there, but I'm not going to be greedy. I'll come to wherever it's at, but keep doing your thing, man. And uh, I, I, like I said, dude, I, I can't wait for it. I really can't. Thank you. Thank you. That means it's on, man. Um, you know, like we said earlier, we touched on it, but you know, getting back out there for the people that believed in me is much more important than proving the other people wrong. So uh, I appreciate it. And uh, I'll get back there out there as soon as it's done. Yeah. And just so you know, now this is the resident Mike Soroka podcast. So every single time, every single good thing you do will get shined on this podcast. And if there is some people coming at you on social media, we will act as your burner account because you're not on Twitter. That's just what we do. That's what we do with our guests. So just so you know, if, if I'm pretty ear to the streets, if people say your name, I will be coming at them on Twitter if they're negative. So just know that. Just know where your burner account now. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it, Johnny. It's a pleasure to be on with you, man. Thank you for listening to Officially Unofficial. Make sure you guys subscribe and leave a review on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Pod and on Instagram at Officially Unofficial Pod. Thank you.